Hey friends, it's Sunday, September 6th, and the teaching text for today comes from the book of James, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I want you to imagine that you are living in uh, the middle of the first century in Israel. The church has been around for a couple of decades. It's made a decent following, but it's still kind of a misunderstood and, and maligned minority. Uh, the church has made inroads with Gentiles, so the base is growing, but that's only making them all the more a little bit uh, suspect or off-putting with polite society. Imagine that you're in that setting and first century church leadership calls you in to come in as a consultant. They sit you down at the conference table and they tell you their big, hairy, audacious goal. They want to make uh, Christianity so prevalent that they ultimately win over Caesar and they make Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And they ask you, how do you do it? How do we do it? Well, if you follow the playbook of, of many church growth consultants today, you might say, well, we need to pray about it, obviously, but then we need to get the word out. So uh, let's put together some little door hangers with the name of the church, you know, Jerusalem First Christian, and wrap up a cute little baggie with pita and maybe a container of hummus and some olives and tell people when the worship gatherings are. And then maybe you like set up an outreach booth during the festival of booths and you do a giveaway of a mule on Jubilee, all the things to try to get the word out and get your favorability up with people. Uh, but if your goal is to go after the empire, you might say to them, you'll want to do some targeted communication at the local prefects and, and the governors. So you find out their personality, you find out their likes, and you tailor some, some targeted ads at them to really get at you know, their felt needs. So you're going to want to be winsome, you're going to want to act natural, and show them that Christians can actually be cool, they can actually be you know, normal people and try if you can to get them or one of the influencers around them to come to your worship gathering and they'll see that hey maybe this Christianity thing isn't so bad after all yada 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 you kind of get the idea uh, the improbable growth of Christianity from being a despised Jewish sect to winning over Emperor Constantine in, in 312 is nothing short of an historical phenomenon its growth has to be explained by something because it makes little sense on the surface. Would-be messiahs who are executed by the state usually don't garner strong post-mortem followings. Now, it, it was tremendously unpopular to be a follower of Jesus in the first three centuries of the church. Uh, a conversion to Christianity was often accompanied by intense social pressure. You could lose your job. Your family could reject you. If you made it all the way through the process of catechesis, where they were like assimilating you into the life of the church and you were actually baptized, oftentimes you had to come to grips with the fact that that might be your death sentence. If you were Jewish, you could be thrown out of the temple or the synagogue and stoned. If you were a Gentile, you could be tossed into the arena with, with gladiators or with animals and publicly shamed and killed. But not only was it unpopular 
to be a follower of Jesus in the first three centuries, it was also really difficult to become a Christian. Worship gatherings were typically closed to the public. Deacons would be at the door checking whether you were a baptized member of the community. There was fear of persecution and infiltration. You couldn't really listen to a podcast to get a soft entry into what Christianity was all about. The assimilation pathway for becoming part of the church was this rigorous process that could take two to three years, wherein you might be forced to uh, quit your job, to give away all of your money, to memorize and practice the Sermon on the Mount, and be subjected to several rounds of really intense scrutiny that you were living in the way of Jesus, not just believing the Jesus things. And then after all of that, you could be baptized welcomed into the community, and received the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, for the first time. So one has to ask, if it was this unpopular and this difficult, all of the things that church growth consultants today would advise pastors to lead their churches away from, you need easy on-ramps, you need to make things accessible. Why on earth did Christianity grow to such a degree that not only would it win over and outlast the Roman Empire, but it would endure and spread to places like China and Brazil and Estonia and Ethiopia and remote islands and even in places like Tulsa, Oklahoma. That in places like that, there would be men and women who name as their Lord the person of Jesus Christ, the one executed by the state, and claim as their heritage the people who through the centuries, through suffering and death, have vowed to follow in his steps. How can you explain Something so miraculous as this. Well, if you ask some of those who did lead the church through the first three centuries, how did all this happen? They might answer it with a single word, and that word is patience. After uh, this year, after eight months of working through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and just before we go into several months of studying Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we're taking three weeks as a church to look at the critical postures and practices that we need to embody to make it through this chronically anxious season in our country and in our world. Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the practice of friendship. Last week, we talked about prudence, and today we're going to talk about patience. If you go back with me in time to the middle of the third century, there was a theologian and a pastor by the name of Origen. Uh, Origen was the son of a martyr. Uh, he had experienced regular tension with his neighbors and the very real prospect of torture and death as a follower of Jesus. And the death of his father as a martyr and growing up with the social tension and the prospect of torture and execution shaped his worldview and shaped his understanding of what it meant to cultivate disciples. And his origin as a pastor and theologian was, was making disciples. He vowed to instill in them what he called a virtue peculiarly ours, a, a virtue that is peculiar to us, a quality that separated followers of Jesus from the rest of the world. And that virtue was patience. Christians were patient, said Origen, because Jesus was patience himself. According to Alan Kreider in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, Origen maintained that in embodying patience, Christ perfectly expressed the way God works to bring God's mission to completion. God, in dealing with Israel across the centuries, was never in a hurry. 
God instructed the people, sent them prophets, and was always patient by sending those who cure. And in the fullness of time, God sent them the chief healer, the prophet who surpassed prophets, the healer who surpassed healers. The people rejected and killed Jesus, but they did not frustrate God's purposes. God's mission is unhurried and unstoppable. Origen taught that when men and women follow Jesus, God forms them into people of patience, unhurried, void of the kind of urgency and frenzy and anxiety that so characterizes life in our world today. Now, you'd think that if given the mission, as as the original disciples were by Jesus, and by extension us, to make disciples of all nations, that the early Christians would feel weighed down and overwhelmed by this task. Instead, they learned to embody the same patience that God exercised in slowly unfolding his plan for the world. And this enabled them to deliberately and carefully, person by person, form resilient disciples. Disciples whose lives were so compelling that outsiders were magnetically drawn to them and would sometimes walk away from their life of relative ease and comfort into the discomfort and the danger and the difficulty of following Jesus under threat of the empire. Because they were so hungry to experience for themselves what they saw in these Christians who had been shaped by patience. The early Christians practiced patience in persecution, patience in the slow work of of sanctification and changing old habits, patience in waiting for Jesus to return as he promised, patience for their vindication when they were maligned, Uh, for more than any other virtue, and certainly more than anything that looked like missional strategy, For centuries, the church emphasized the necessity of and the practice of patience in the life of the Christian. And patience paid off. Well, what is patience? What is it? Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering uh, without getting angry or upset. You could say patience is an understanding and embrace of divine timing, that God will be faithful on God's schedule. The passage that I read earlier from James reminds us of, of the patience of the farmer who knows you don't go from sowing to harvesting overnight and no amount of fretting or worrying or talk about it, talking about it is going to make any difference. So instead, you accept it with patience. You know, you can more readily be patient in life if you believe that what you're hoping for or waiting for will ultimately be fulfilled or that you're ultimately going to have what you most need. Perhaps you could say you you could be patient if you have this deep assurance that in an existential sense, you're going to be fine. You have at the core of your being this deep okayness that in the fullness of time, God is going to make uh, everything well. Everything is going to be okay in the timing and the wisdom of God. Uh, in our, in our, uh, the, the group that we belong to called Churches for the Sake of Others, I've heard my bishop, Todd Hunter, say this really curious phrase. He says, you know, you're always safe in the kingdom of God. 
And Todd, who is one of the most peaceful and joyful people I've ever met, is underscoring the same idea that we're talking about with regard to patience, that if in the core of your being you believe that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and that in the fullness of time this same Jesus will make all things well, even unto the reversal of death, then that can infuse a person with this sense of perennial safety and even patience in the midst of discomfort or difficulty or even staring into the face of death. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Philippians 4 when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was not primarily talking about getting on the homecoming court or dunking a basketball. He was talking about being content in any and every situation, in the, in the middle of suffering or experiencing hunger or rejection. You're always safe in the kingdom of God. And that unshakable kingdom safety enables a person to be patient because you know that all shall be well. On the other hand, it's more difficult to be patient if you're fearful that in the end things are not going to work out. If you feel like the, in, in terms of your universal resources, that the, the, the resources are actually pretty scarce, that everything feels do or die, everything is on your shoulders. And if, and if you feel that way, then yeah, you panic, you jump up and down, you, you try to game the system, you lose your cool because it feels like so much is riding on that thing that you're waiting for or trying to make it through. My impatience often comes out as a parent, God bless my poor children sometimes, where deluged with words and needs and have-tos, I sometimes fear, not necessarily that my children are too much, but, but that I am not nearly enough. I don't have the resources I need to, to patiently parent and not lose my cool. And in my exhaustion and frustration as a parent, I sometimes am not sure that everything's going to work out. I begin to listen to my fears and I find myself saying those occasionally ridiculous thing that your parents said and now they're coming out of my mouth like, if you don't comply, I'm gonna put all your toys in the attic. Like, oh my goodness, what is happening to me? I'm coming to the end of my patience. It's a scarcity problem. It's listening to fears. It's an uncertainty that things are actually gonna be okay. Now, compared with the patience that, that, that the New Testament authors were talking about, you know, the patience required to endure suffering as a Christian, some of the things nowadays that challenge our patience by comparison or contrast can seem pretty small, but they're very real to us. You know, the student who's eagerly waiting to graduate from high school or to graduate from college, or the woman or man who's, who's desperately waiting for that job offer to come along, the couple that's waiting to get pregnant or they're waiting to hear back in the process of fostering or adopting. In your exhaustion in life sometimes as an adult, waiting for a vacation, waiting for that big promotion you're counting on. Or maybe you've worked a long time, you're waiting for retirement. I think many of us in our world right now are waiting for COVID to be a thing of the past. We're waiting for this presidential election to be a thing of the past. But all of these represent, you know, the real life stuff that taken all together really can, can uh, take a toll on a person's heart and soul. It can be torturous at times and waiting. It can be lonely. It can be emptying. And you know, to my aggravation, waiting and enduring difficulty and annoyance seem to be a central part 
of the human experience. But rather than regarding it merely as just this this irritant that we will ask deliverance from as our perennial prayer request in Apprentice Group, I think there's an invitation for us to reframe this everyday difficulty in light of the reality that this is God's world. And God seems perfectly content to have a world in which his people are forced to wait. In fact, it seems to be the case that waiting and enduring difficulty are are some of the primary tools God uses to grow us. You know, in the same way that it takes time for plants to grow in the soil or babies to grow in the womb, it takes time for us as people to grow into emotional and spiritual and relational, holistic health. And God uses waiting as one of his primary tools. Therefore, this invitation into patience is an invitation into growth, an invitation into wellness, and an invitation that we should accept. Maybe our everyday annoyances and even our most heartfelt longings, all of those things that that challenge and frustrate and undermine our patience are the very things God is using to shape us into people of character and beauty. And if this is the case, then rather than running from difficulty or bemoaning the challenge, we can pause and breathe and consider the gift that is hidden for us from God in the middle of it. And such composure and such optimism are the fruits of one who knows that you're always safe in the kingdom of God. I'd like to give three tools for managing challenges that test our patience. Three ways of of reframing annoyances and sources of exasperation into opportunities for growth, into maturity and wisdom. Uh, The first has to do with challenges with circumstances and challenges with other people. So when I say this, I'm thinking, you know, the challenge of being between jobs, the challenge of navigating uh, COVID and all of its, you know, complicating factors in our world. I think about the challenge of waiting for pregnancy, um, the challenge of, of, you know, easing into parenting and feeling helpless or caring for an aging parent or dealing with a boss that you you don't really like. How can a follower of Jesus embrace the various circumstantial and relational challenges with acceptance? How can we reframe those challenges as an opportunity to grow in patience and wisdom? Well, I want to give you a phrase to keep in your back pocket when you're going through a challenge, a situation that's really testing your patience, when you're frustrated with a child, when you're frustrated with a coworker, when you're frustrated with a situation that doesn't seem to be letting up and going your way, a phrase to keep in your back pocket. Here's the phrase. God is working on me while I am working on this. In the middle of whatever you're going through, you say to yourself, God is working on me while I am working on this. I think this is precisely what James was getting at in the first chapter of his letter when he said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials and difficulties of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, or we might even say patience. And let patience or perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In the middle of difficulty or challenge, remind yourself, God is working on me while I am working on this. 
And after having, having reframed that challenge with a person or with a situation, you invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, if you're working on me, like come and do whatever kind of renovation you work because I need the stamina and the strength and the wisdom to know how to stand up in the middle of this. Uh, in, the, in the face of challenges with circumstances or frustrations with other people, you remind yourself, God is working on me while I am working on this. I think a second challenge that many of us face is just the challenge of managing ourselves. I know uh, it's really hard work to be healthy. And it can be very discouraging to deal with the same old thought patterns, the same old temptations and proclivities. And you try and you try and you hope and you pray and you do the work and that old man or that old woman is still setting up camp on the inside and it can be very, very disheartening. You try to starve the sinful nature, but it feels like the sinful nature brought like tons of extra resources with it and is not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, what do you do when you're running thin on patience for yourself? Here's the second phrase to keep in your back pocket when, when, when dealing with the challenge of managing yourself or growing yourself. God will finish what he started in me. It's remembering the, the promise, God will finish what he started in me. Paul said this in Philippians 1. He said, he who began a good work in you, he started it in the first place, will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. What God has planted in you, the seed that he's put in you, he intends to see through to maturity. And so in moments of exasperation with yourself, you remind yourself, God will finish what he started in me. Now, this is not an invitation to laziness or lack of effort. Dallas Willard said that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. This is not, a, not about like be lazy because God is going to finish the work. On the contrary, it's a reminder to keep up the fight because God's fighting at your side. He's in this with you. It's a reminder that it's not all on us. And so we set our hope on the work that God is doing in us now, that ongoing work of renovation, and we also set our hope on the day of his coming and the complete transformation we'll undergo when the sons and daughters of God are revealed in glory. I am not now who I want to be, but God will finish his work in me. Remember that. God will finish what he started in me. Therefore, I can be patient even with myself. We talked about what to do when you're frustrated and your patience is tested with, with situations, with other people, even with yourself. But what about when your patience is running thin with God? What do you tell yourself? How do you reframe the issue when you're inclined to be impatient with God? You know, believe it or not, this happened a lot in the Bible. One of the most commonly repeated prayers in the Bible is how long, how long, how long? We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, people imploring God, like, when are you going to fulfill your promises? When are you going to make good on everything that you've said? If you think you're the first to ask that question or you're, you know, an apostate for asking it, you're actually in the company of the saints, even the saints of the martyrs around the throne asking how long until we're vindicated. Uh, Peter had this really interesting passage in 2 Peter. He says, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. 
when frustrated and tested by what feels like God's slowness, remind yourself of the ultimate hope and promise that we've been given in Scripture, that God will make all things well. In moments of exasperation with the human condition, when there's, a, when there's another shooting, when there's another untimely death, when another thing happens that just wrenches and breaks your heart and you're like, come on, God, how long? You anchor your grief in the hope that God will make all things well. Christian patience is not just like advice to eat your vegetables. It's not just like be good. Christian patience is anchored in Christian hope. That in the fullness of time, Jesus will return to renew and restore all things. The Apostle John was given this vision. It's recorded for us in Revelation 21. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God He will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, behold, I am making everything new. Ultimately, we can be patient as followers of Jesus because we are people uh, of hope and hope is anchored in objective realities. And as Jesus in the middle of history came died and was resurrected as he promised and ascended to the father like our hope is anchored in the objective the objective fact of his resurrection that gave birth to the church at the descent of the spirit and because we have this hope we 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 hold it dear with confidence that he's going to return and all will be gloriously and finally well and in view of the hope that all will be well and in confidence that we are always safe in the kingdom of God, we can with patience accept the ways that God wants to grow us. Leveraging difficulty and challenges and circumstances and relationships with other people, even the difficulty of managing ourselves and managing the divine human relationship, we can accept these difficulties as instruments in the hands of God to be used to shape us in increasing measure into the image of Jesus. I wonder, I wonder for you who are listening or you who are watching, do you believe that in the core of your being that you are always safe in the kingdom of God? Do you believe, do you have this deep inner okayness that enables you to be a little more patient day by day? Are there situations that you've been whining or bemoaning or even asking for deliverance from and God might be inviting you to reframe your prayers to, Lord, would you grow me into maturity in the middle of this situation? How are you actively resisting God's work in you and and how might you be invited to embrace it through patience with God? I know that many of you listening may be going through tons of just Uh, really hard things. And I just want to pray blessing on you as you go through the middle of that, that even in the midst of of sickness or having suffered loss or, or one of the greatest difficulties in your life, that God would give you grace to embrace the work of perseverance and patience that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing with the help of the Spirit. Lord, I just pray a, a blessing on all who listen. 
that you might help us to grow in grit as men and women, to be people who embrace the work of patience and waiting as intrinsic to life in your world and let you do all of the work of renovation in us that you want to. I don't pray necessarily, Lord, that you would deliver everyone from the difficulties they're facing, but that you give them the grace and the strength to stand up in the middle of it and to, and to endure. For those who are struggling in relationships with other people or who are discouraged and downtrodden as a result of a situation, Lord, give them grace and the emotional buoyancy to reframe the challenge. For those who are down on themselves, maybe even hate themselves, would you replace the lies that they're telling about themselves with the truth that you'll finish what you've started in them and therefore they have hope? And Lord, for all of us, as we just, we wait for your return, we wait for you to come and make all things new, strengthen us and grow us in patience that we might be men and women of maturity who lack nothing. Remind us, Jesus, that we are always safe in your kingdom and therefore we need not fear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. We'll see you around.